Welcome, welcome to episode two of the Potentiation Podcast. I'm your host, Fran Kalinsky, and thank you, as always, for tuning in to join the conversation, always starting every episode with gratitude. Today on episode two, I have two guests. No, I didn't plan that. That's just how it worked out. Two guests who joined me today that are unique in their own right. They actually, for the past year, have been my mentors in the fitness industry. For those of you who don't know, I'm also a personal trainer. And actually, a year ago today was the first day that I started the mentorship process with them. And honestly, it was such a transformative experience. It took six months of the year of 2019. And I really learned so much about values and principles, not just for personal training, but interpersonally in my everyday life that I took with me. Both of these guys are really, really smart. They have a group mentorship program that I was a part of that is still going. And not only is it still going, it's going strong. First, Kyle Dobbs, the first founder of Compound Performance, who is just an absolute wealth of knowledge, not just in fitness, but psychologically. The guy is really, really smart. He knows his stuff. Not only does he know his stuff, but he caters to his information in a way that is just digestible for everybody. And I think that's what makes the business model so good. And then Matt Domini, his business partner in Compound Performance, who's really helped shape the brand in a way that appeals to a broader range of people. Matt is just an insanely strong dude. He's got a garage gym. Go check him out on IG. If you want to see his antics on there, he is not only funny, but he is smart. He is a perfect fit with Kyle, honestly, I think. And I think that's why I gelled so well with these guys. And I think it's why the values still stick with me to this day as I'm training people over the computer in the COVID environment. Guys, this is episode two of the Potentiation Podcast with Compound Performance. Enjoy. All right. Welcome to episode two of the Potentiation Podcast. I have two guests that I'm thrilled to have on today. Two guys who I've called mentors actually for about a year now. I started my first round of the Compound Performance Mentorship July 1st, 2019. Since then, I've been ecstatic to work with these two coaches who have helped me kind of transform my personal, well, really transform my personal training business and the values that I took with me have stuck today, especially in the COVID environment where everything is remote, everything is online, and they have an insanely good product that I feel like is only getting better, and we're going to dive into that today, just how that has kind of evolved over the past year. Go ahead and introduce yourselves, guys, and tell the world who you are. For those of you who don't already know, who is Compound Performance starting off uh, one by one? I guess I'll go first because Matt's just staring at me. <laughs> so my name is Kyle Dobbs. I'm uh, the founder of Compound Performance, and... It's, we, we, I, I started this business about two and a half years ago and I worked in New York for about 14 years before that, prior to that, as a trainer, manager, multi-facility manager, regional manager, and then national education director for a few different companies. Um, God, you know, became just very dissatisfied with my work-life balance. I have a family and just wanted to spend time with them. And moved back to the Midwest, where I'm originally from. So I'm located here in St. Louis now. And uh, started this business and really haven't looked back since. Um, Matt joined me a little over a year ago. And, you know, I'll let him kind of go into more about what he does. But we've really had the opportunity to grow with his help from that point on. I mean, he handles a lot of our training stuff, the vast majority of it. 
and I handle the trainer development side of the things. So we kind of have a split department uh, type setup. It works really well. You know, you'll hear us kind of uh, fight like an old married couple, you know, often. But uh, we like each other. We hope when we see each other, it's good. Yeah. That was the most awkward thing that's ever happened. <laughs> I came to my house one time in January, and I put my hand up and shake, shake his hand, and he's like, no, 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 I'm a hugger. And he goes to this big hug, and I'm just like, ah, I don't know what to do. <laughs> it was kind of funny. Uh, but anyway, I'm, I'm Matt Domi. Uh, I am the head coach of Top High Performance. Like how I was saying, I do all of the remote training. Um, I also assist in the group mentorship and uh, build the spreadsheets for all the stuff that we're doing. Um, that's actually one of my happy places is building PowerPoints and building spreadsheets. Um, but I've been a trainer and a coach for the last eight years. I started off in about in 2012 as just a regular personal trainer at one of the, like, the small little boutique gyms in New Jersey. Uh, moved to a larger corporate gym. That larger corporate gym gave me a lot of opportunities and it gave me the desire for more continuing education and, and taught me a lot of really good things. They also helped me move to Texas, where, I'm current, where I currently live. So I live down in, I'm located down in Houston, Texas. Um, from there, uh, I got kind of stale and got kind of stuck in where I was. And I decided to actually hire Kyle as an individual mentor. Uh, this time, I think in, uh, in like January 2019 or something like that. He actually didn't think that I was going to do it because I was prepping for a powerlifting meet at the time. And we had our consultation like two weeks before my meet. And I said, cool, I want this. I think it's going to be something that will be important for me. I just have to get through my powerlifting meet first. And he, on the phone, he literally goes, yeah, cool, sounds good. See you on social media. And thought I was never going to talk to him again. <laughs> and the day after my powerlifting meet, I reached out like, yo, so I'm ready to get started. Let's go. And he's like, oh, okay. You were serious about it. So that was the, that was the beginning of our uh, relationship. Um, I didn't do much during the individual mentorship, so I didn't get as much out of it as I should have, but then I got a job out of it, so that ended up working out pretty nice and great. Um, I decided to quit my coaching job and work fully remote and work fully from home in February of this year, so that's a new journey for me, and it seemed to be the perfect time to do it with the whole coronavirus, everything shutting everything down, and it's just been a great time ever since. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder sometimes about how Kyle gets people engaged with him because I literally had such an identical to experience uh, to Matt aside from the powerlifting meet. I reached out about mentorship. He gave me the individual and the group price and I thought on it for like a week, probably didn't DM him. He said something similar actually. He said something like, see you around or whatever. Uh, and that wasn't goodbye for me, but I'm sure he probably thought in his head like, well, if this guy comes around, he comes around. And I ended up signing up for the mentorship. And like I said, it, and it ended up being really transformative experience, but I want to talk about kind of the brand of compound performance and just how it's evolved. Um, I saw, you know, a lot of Kyle's posts on Instagram before I ever reached out to him. And I think that's how a lot of people come to both of you guys. You know, they see an educational post that's shared by somebody else. And, you know, you have to kind of understand that people are going to reach out and ask questions. And you guys have a lot of people who ask questions and you do a great job at addressing those questions. With both of your guys' edu educational backgrounds, both as um, teachers and, and trainers, does it ever become overwhelming, the amount of questions you guys get, or, or the amount of, like, do you ever just kind of divert to saying, well, join the mentorship and find out, or, or do you take the time daily to answer the, the floods of questions you guys get? So, for me, it's, it's definitely, it's situational. 
you yeah. know, it, it really depends on what else I'm doing and how much time I have available. You know, I do, I do genuinely love to talk to trainers, right? So I will answer as many as I can. That being said, you know, there are people who definitely take advantage of it also, yeah. right? You just, well, you'll answer a question and then there's a question every single day from that point forward, right? right? And it just kind of keeps going and going. And at that point, you know, I, I don't always refer them to our products. You know, if it's something that's more based on like a system or a systemic stunt type of learning, like I'll just say like, hey, maybe you need to go take this seminar, right? And get a better understanding of it because I can't teach you this through DMs. Like right. that's not an efficient way for you to learn this and actually be able to apply it with your clients because I see that you have good intentions. You're asking good questions, but this isn't a good learning environment for you, right? So I, I think it really depends on who the person is, how many times they've actually reached out to me, and then kind of what I'm doing. But I'll generally answer a few before I'm like, hey, we either need to set up a consultation call, right, and talk over like a Zoom call. We can talk about like what we do because this is what other people pay us to do. Right. Or you need to just go take that system to get, to get a better understanding of it. Because at the end of the day, like, I want trainers to be better. It doesn't have to be through us, although I think we do a good job at it. Yeah. But I want this to be better. We want to raise the floor in the industry. We want people to be educated. We want people to be able to help as many clients as possible in the best ways possible, right? So I'm all about providing information when it's appropriate and when I'm able to from that right. standpoint. Right. I feel like you guys gel really well. And uh, a lot of the reason I, I like your guys' content, I like what is going on at Compound Performances because you guys kind of offset each other in, a, in an interesting way, right? Like uh, in the mentorship, Kyle has talked about, there's a whole section on individual psychology and interpersonal psychology and how in, you interact with certain people. And Kyle has often said that, you know, he tends to be on the quieter side and, and if, it, if you were left to your own devices, it'd be a little bit harder for you to make friends. Whereas Matt, you know, he's got the occasional funny meme on his page and uh, he, he, he tends to have fun with it, but he's still educational. So can you talk about how you guys kind of gel how those two personality or those different person, personality traits that you have kind of make compound performance what it is? Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll lead off this one. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely more introverted. You know, if, if we start talking about like behavioral analysis and some of these other things that we discuss, like I'm, I'm more of an introverted analytical type person, right? And I typically kind of stay away. I'm a little more serious uh, and a little more thoughtful on some of these things. And I care more about what people think about me probably than what Matt does. And that's why he wears those tight t-shirts. So from that perspective, you know, the way that I communicate and the way that I message people and the way that I interact with my environments and the people within them is completely different than the way that Matt does. And if he was just like me, we'd be incredibly boring. Like I will, I will a hundred percent, you know, go on record saying that. So he kind of, you know, he balances this out really well with kind of his attributes and the way that he communicates. He, he pulls me out of, you know, my, my shell a little bit and, you know, gets me a little more social from that perspective. And, it's always fun communicating or, you know, and throwing jokes back and forth, throwing information back and forth from that perspective. Yeah. Basically, the whole thing that we do is just Kyle and me making fun of each other. And we throw in a lot of, like, there's, there's educational stuff that comes that comes with it. Like, it's, but it's it's one of those things that I think that sets us apart from a lot of other, uh, other, other people and other groups in the industry is that we don't take ourselves very seriously all the time. And 
that's one of the things that I see with a lot of these other coaching groups or other companies is that they only take themselves extremely seriously and try to be as professional as humanly possible. And I think Kyle and I have a bit more of an understanding and realization that we're dealing with a bunch of gym bros and we're dealing with a bunch of meatheads. And like that's one of the things that we keep talking about all the time internally when we have any kind of like website or tech issues is we look at our, our tech person or the person that helps us with our website and go, we're just a bunch, of, a bunch of meatheads trying to run a website. Like we don't know what we're doing. We know this. Right. So I think that's one of the biggest things that helps with our with our banter and everything like that is that we are both fully aware that we're talking like we, we need to be better at speaking to our audience. And then they need to learn how to be professional with their audience. But our audience is not a very professional group of people. So we need to have that ability to have that kind of conversation with them. So I think that's one of the things that we do different than a lot of other places. And it's like how I was saying, like if he balances me out really well as well, where it's like I have a bit more of an extroverted personality and I don't necessarily always think about things before I do them. Yeah. Taking it a step further, the two of you, you know, Matt mentioned, have worked in a professional capacity together to help each other outside of compound, compound performance. Before it was with Matt with mentorship, and then eventually Matt took on the challenge of, of, of programming for Kyle and, and really getting him a lot stronger, uh, better biomechanics. Matt, talk about the process of programming for Kyle after having been a trainer for as long as you did. Was it just a mess of, of picking exercises or, or how much pushback did you get from him? What, what did the programming process look like? Every single time that I go to program out for Kyle, I'm like, hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing. He's like, I hate you. I don't want to do this. <laughs> uh, but honestly, really what we get out of this is that he, it's, it's very the, – the fact that both of us have done a lot of, a lot of education and a lot of – have a lot of experience with coaching other people and coaching – high-level athletes, coaching gen pop people or gen pop clients, and coaching everybody in between, it's given both of us, I think, a great understanding and appreciation of the basics. Yeah. So that's one of the nice things about working with Kyle is, like, I get to have a little bit more fun programming out through not being super creative with exercise selection, but being creative with dispersing volume over the course of a training week and picking the appropriate exercise variation to hit the orientation of the muscle fibers that we're looking for, like, Last week, last phase, we had a bit more of a concentric hamstring orientation training block where we did like a lot more like knee flexion exercises. Now we've got a bit more of an eccentric orientation block where we're doing a lot more hinging exercises. The same thing as applying for our body exercises, right? So I get to have a little bit more fun and get a little more creative with my exercise selection and volume prescriptions while still being very basic because he's definitely going to sit there and go, oh, cool, this feels great. I understand exactly what you're looking for. I'm not looking for a split squat to lunge to curl to press because it sounds fun and I saw it on social media. Right, right. So it was the AMRAP program that was the focal point of the, these past few months and, and all the way till the end of 2019 and even then into some of this year that was was Kyle's program and that it just kind of took a lot of people past their plateaus, I should say, and took them to new levels. When you programmed AMRAP, it seemed like that it, it fit really well for Kyle, but there's been so many other people who, my, myself included, uh, maybe not just because I'm also like a tall former basketball player like Kyle, but other people who've just seen crazy PRs off of this AMRAP program. So how did AMRAP start as this one individual program that turned into something that half the country, it seemed like, was PRing off of? What it, the, the thing that made it work really, really well is it was a very novel exercise 
exercise prescription in terms of training frequency, in my opinion, right? Where we did a 3-3 training split, which allowed us to maximize intensity over those individual sessions and reduce the total frequency and volume over the course of the training week. But Kyle, like, what would you say your, your experience was with it? I think it, it really, it took a few, probably the first couple phases to kind of iron out, you know, and I, I think part of that was also just Matt and I getting to understand one another better within that relationship where, you know, he was my coach. And, and, and part of that, again, was the reason he got so much feedback from me is because Matt actually asks his clients for feedback, right. which I think is a point that we can't state enough because that's super important, right? And, and I also have no problem being completely honest with him just based off of my own training preferences, how I feel, how I perform, whatever. So, you know, we, we really looked at that program as a way where, you know, Friday is going to be your high volume day, right? Like we're, we're getting into like those AMRAP lifts where we're, we're accumulating really high amounts of volume, you know, 50,000 total pounds plus like per session in an hour, right? So when we look at how the other two days, the A1, A2 days are built out, they can't also be high volume, right? So we would kind of have more of a, a stem date, which was more variability based, where we looked at like unilateral movements, we looked at offset loading, we looked at different things like frontal plane competency and kind of centering centering ourselves over like a femur, right? Rather than being, you know, sagittal bilateral in that day, yeah. like we would be on that, that Friday. Yeah. And then we started looking at like Wednesday is more of like a general hypertrophy based day. And the, the three of those days combined really allowed me to train different qualities on different days and recover better throughout the course of a week. And, and then as we were looking at like what the conditioning days look like, we kind of had to do the same thing there where, you know, we had one conditioning day that if you did it right, took under 20 minutes. Yep. Yeah. And the worst 20 minutes of your life. Like oh, it was literally sure. like a two mile assault bike test and then a hundred kettlebell swings for time. Yeah. And out of that 10 minutes, you were probably like on the floor for 10 minutes between the two things. Like that's kind of what happened. And if you did it right, that's all you needed. Then it's like, go out, be active during the day, take your steps. So we had a day where super high intensity, but very low volume. We had a day that was really built on more like GPP, LICT based work and blocks where we did reverse sled drops. We did, we did continuous step ups, med ball slam circuits, things of that nature. And then we had another day that was more set up on patterning where we would look at things like static or dynamic work, things of that nature that allowed for more like reinforcement more mitochondrial density work, more capillary density work, and more just overall muscular endurance type training. So again, it's like we're, we're kind of alternating what qualities and capacities that we're training over the course of this week throughout the days to allow for more, not only movement variability through the week, but also energy system variability. Right. The way he laid it out, once we kind of figured out what we wanted to do, I think worked really well for everybody because the days are really split up into, okay, we're not going, you know, balls to the wall every single day. Like you've got Friday to do that on these other days. We want to chase these qualities. And if we get to the point where these days take, take away from Friday, you're doing them wrong. Right. And, and I think the, the other end of the AMRAP is, you know, Matt and I talked about this a lot with, you know, you guys in the group, right. Especially with like the trap bar deadlift is people would, hit these note, like hit rep ranges that they were previously doing for like five or six reps for like 20 plus reps. Right. But even then, like 
they just set the bar down at 20 and like walk away. And we give people a hard time because that's not as many reps as possible. That's a, that's as many reps as you wanted to do, right? You had like three or four in the tank, you know? So I, I think even then it really opened people's eyes to just what their general abilities were and gave people a lot of confidence week over week to just like smash those numbers. Yeah. And, and I think there's a huge psychological effect there as well. Exactly. I, I, I can attest to, you know, the conditioning days just absolutely sucking, you know, for anybody who's maybe interested in this, in this mentorship, I don't know what this phase of programming looks like, but I don't think I beat my air bike times too many times over. Like I might've beat it one week and then by like a split second. And I was probably not working with the best air bike either, but yeah, the programming, uh, is unique. Like, like Kyle said, and it's got, it's got elements of it that I think require people to dig deeper because there were moments where I was benching or trap bar deadlifting or squatting and, you know, really squeezing out that last rep is, is, it's much more than having a number in your head. It's really deciding like, all right, when am I absolutely going to fail at this lift? And, and I think that, like you said, helped people push to a new height with a lot of these lifts. With that said, you guys have this, this next round coming up. And I feel like the groundwork has been laid so well with the past few mentorships. How does the programming change, if at all, in these next few rounds of the mentorship? I know you guys both have individual backgrounds that that mesh really well. You know, Kyle having worked his way back to probably some of the best shape he'd been in after, you know, you mentioned on other podcasts, knee injuries and other college basketball injuries. And, and Matt having mentioned doing a number on his body for most of his training career, both with jujitsu and, and, and then powerlifting, which does a number on your body in and of itself. How does your guys' individual background, each of each of your backgrounds, uh, shape the programming, and, and, and how much effort goes into it um, before each mentorship starts? So the uh, the individual programming and everything that we're doing for each round of the group mentorship is we're just using the uh, the AMRAP program as the example program. So if people want to follow along with it, they totally can. Yeah. Uh, the only programming that we do provide for it, and it's just something that we can use as a frame of reference for when we talk about programming and periodization. Um, now, one of the things that we do that is a little bit different, or that I do that's a little bit different when I, do, when I build a training program, is I take the training frequency and I try to view every single day that you have as a training day as its own individual training cycle. So if you are training Monday to Friday, Monday is its own training program that progresses on its own. Tuesday is the same thing, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and, and Friday are, are all their own individual training programs that progress and regress as needed on their own. So each week obviously is a tra- individual training cycle, but each Monday has to be its own individual thing as well. Where like sometimes I could find that, for example, like a lifter might do really well and like not have to deload their squat for six weeks. Like I have people who've worked with me who've been working with me for six eight months so far, who've had to maybe take one deload on their bench press because they're just continuously making progress on it. Right. So what we try to do is like, we try to we use that AMRAP as a AMRAP as an example. Of that because that is involved in there as well. But there's some deloads in, in, in there, in there, but they're kind of structured and they're kind of staggered in a weird way. Where it's like you have a deload session, not necessarily a total deload week. And we use that as the same kind of method to use that to teach our people about how we program. Right, right. And I think I think having that option I think makes it that much more desirable. Right, giving somebody the option to do a program or train in their own way gives people a little bit more freedom maybe makes the mentorship 
a little bit more attractive because you're not bound to one thing. You have that freedom to choose your your exercises. When we talk about the brand of Compound Performance now, obviously every personal trainer has pivoted to a, or not every personal trainer, but the, the landscape of personal training has changed with COVID and the virus. And now we're seeing a lot of online training being implemented. Has that presented any, or has that posed any challenges to you guys outside, maybe whether it's inside or outside the mentorship? I know the mentorship thrives on a remote setting, but um, maybe programming for your individual clients outside of the mentorship, has has, has the virus and, and the landscape we're in kind of changed things for you guys dramatically or not really? Uh, I think anytime you change like the training environment that you have to you know, adapt the context of what you're looking for from a training program as well. You know, I think we've, you know, especially like I said, Matt, Matt more so than anybody else has really had to adapt a lot of our training to stuff that you can do at home, you know, over the last few last few months because not everybody has a stacked out you know garage gym like he does uh you know so the, us living in the real world you know we've been doing a whole lot of like split squats on our couches and like kettlebell swings with maybe some you know the, the one kettlebell we have at home or whatever yeah and, you know i think you have to get creative within that process and you know i've, I've talked to a lot of coaches on the development side who are going through this as well and and they're they're worried about like their ability to, you know, keep their prices the same and, and offer the same quality of service. When in reality, this environment is probably where their clients need them the most, right? Because this is where coaches have to get more creative because you don't have a full gym worth of equipment right. to work with people. Like they might be in their living room with like a backpack and a water jug or something, right? So this is where like a trainer's true value actually comes in because what would they be doing otherwise, right? So we always have to look at the cost effect when we come, when it comes to training, right? It's very easy to look at what you're doing, but you always have to weigh that against what that client would be doing without you, right? And if you're in a normal environment where you've got gyms opening and you've got, you know, boutique fitness and soul cycle and spin suit, like everything else, your clients will find something to do without you if they're really motivated. But when there's not a place to go and there's not kind of a mapped out environment where they know what to do, they typically do nothing, right? So this is where I think, you know, trainers can really be a more benefit to their clients than ever before because it's hard to get motivated in your living room. Like I, I felt that, you know, Missouri's open right now, so I'm, I'm lucky enough to be back in a gym, but I felt that as much as anybody else. Like it's hard to go out in your driveway and continue to do the same stuff. Right, and, and to get motivated for that. So I, I do think um, trainers undersell themselves yeah. over the last few months. And, and I think they, they really need to understand like where their value truly lies from that perspective as well. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been really interesting. Like you said, I've, I've literally experienced the, the backpack, water jug situation with, with clients who don't have any equipment. And uh, it's, it's been fun. And I do think, yeah, a lot of trainers can give themselves a little bit of a pat on the back when they find that one creative exercise to do at home that makes the client say like, oh, wow, this does feel like how we used to do it in the gym. Or maybe it doesn't feel exactly the way it felt, but you're, you're simulating that same burn. And, and I think just doing that alone can give a lot of value and, and I think can go a long way in the future for the trainer-client relationship. Let's talk a little bit about how you guys have decided on this rebrand because I, I, I feel like it was a couple of weeks ago I looked and there was a totally new logo 
you guys were just like revamping this whole thing. And I really did like the partnership with uh, James at Rebel Performance. You guys had some kick-ass episodes of the pod, but talk about now moving forward where Compound Performance is going, you know, separate of that venture and, and how, other than the mentorship, you guys plan to expand, if that's in your thought process right now. You know, looking at it, the merger was a really good idea. It, it just didn't work out the way we wanted to. And I think part of that is, uh, and actually lies in the things, the mechanisms that we want to use over the next few months to grow in. We do have some things coming out, and some things that we're really excited about. And I'll let Matt talk about uh, those a little bit too, because those are more in his sphere. But um, yeah, we're going to keep the development the same. So we've got the group, we've got the individual, we've got you know remote training, but we're also going to be opening up a few more things on the training end. Uh, but but growth is something that we're really excited about. You know, we we've got also some other scopes of fitness that we're delving into, and we're working with you know a, a group of uh, health coaches and nutritionists. You know, to also kind of delve into building out a product for that for both client facing and trainer facing applications. Um, just it, it's definitely an exciting time. You know, over the next you know three or four months, you'll see several different launches. From that perspective, that we're all that we're both really excited about for all of them. We've communicated with a lot of very high coach, high end coaches in our network to do some contract work with us. That's going to, I think, benefit a lot of people in the industry, uh, or a lot of people who are looking to get into any sort of training or anything like that at all. Where it's going to reach, or it's going to bridge a lot of different niches, and it's going to cross a lot of different areas and give people exposure to some really high-quality training programming that they wouldn't necessarily see otherwise. Uh, we're also going to be launching a new education product in August, which I'm super excited about, uh, where we're looking at taking the group mentorship talents and the things that we've been doing with that into a bit more of a specific field for powerlifters. So that's another one that we're pretty excited about launching too, and I think it's going to be uh, something that's never been seen before, and it's going to be very that's awesome. I, uh, you know, I, I definitely think that you guys have such a broad audience. You know, it's it's trainers, it's it's powerlifters, it's it's people who just want to get uh, jacked and strong. And you know, your guys' motto of jack strong, you know, being pain free. I think I think that that bodes well for you guys in the in the near future, especially given that people are are going to be you know eager to get back to the gyms whenever they reopen, and and you know maybe have some sort of structure. I think you guys have a really great uh, avenue for that. Going into more some like conversational stuff, Matt and has, has mentioned how, how Kyle can be hard to program for, and I don't know how much of that is in jest or how much of it is actually true, but if you could both name, maybe aside from working with each other, your guys' like experiences, you know, not the names themselves, but experiences with your worst client, if any, what was something that you just had, like a, a run-in with a client where it was like, all right, I got to take a step back and decide, do I keep going with this or, or do I, like, when has it ever, you guys seem, both seem really, really patient. So I'm eager to hear if there's ever been somebody who just like really grounded your gears to the point where it's like, can't work with this person. Yeah, I, I fired one client my entire career and the one client that I fired, uh, he, we were doing a trap hard deadlift and he told me that exercise and the way that I was telling him to do it was wrong and it was impossible to get any leverage and any mechanical advantage in the way that I was teaching him how to do it. And his chiropractor told him to do it the way that he was going to do it. And I said, okay, cool, have fun, do it. <laughs> and immediately hurt 
stop me, and I was like, I tried to, and you didn't listen to a word that I said. Uh, so he went to his chiropractor, came back, and as soon as he came back, I told him straight up, I was like, I do not think this is going to be a, a good relationship for us anymore, just simply because you've proven that you are not willing to listen to me when you put yourself in a compromising position, and not allowing me to do my job is something that I'm not cool with. So we're not going to, this is not going to be something that can be used anymore. Yeah. Uh, so basically, if you have somebody to tell you what to do and they're smart and they, they know what they're talking about, just probably listen to it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, as far as my end, one, I think Matt's really trying to make me out to be a diva here. Uh, I, I, really, I complain about him as a person and not necessarily his programming, so I want to make that clear also. Got it. And that's understandable, I think, for most people. So, you know, from a client perspective, you know, I, I think I'm definitely more patient now because of my experiences as a young trainer in New York. You yeah. know, I trained a lot of the sessions. I was a very high volume trainer for, for a company based out of there. And I, I had a lot of clients that, you know, I, I took on and maybe shouldn't have just based on, you know, that poor personality fits or, you know, or whatever. And, and I definitely, you know, the people who I always had the hardest time with were the people who didn't value my time. Mm. And, you know, so anyone that I ever worked with that was a frequent, you know, canceler or no show person or whatever, you know, those are people that I always had a lot of trouble with because I always prided myself on putting everything I could and investing as much as I could into their programs, into their sessions. And and I think, you know, now looking back on that, I probably didn't reflect as much on myself as I should have at the time, you know, just being a younger, kind of more biased trainer and, and realizing where I wasn't meeting them from that perspective. I think, you know, Anytime we're talking about being a professional, being a service provider, it's your job to get clients to show up. Yeah. And you're not going to win every battle. Like, you're going to have people who just don't show up. Like, that happens. But I, I do think we have to be self-reflective in that. Uh, and, and objective, right? And, and critically think about the service that we're providing. And are we meeting them at their values? Are we meeting them at their level from a training perspective? Are we doing enough of what they want to have them enjoy the overall training experience? Or are we just writing out a program because we think or we're biased towards like a certain system, right? And or certain drills or, or whatever exercise selections, you know, so I think the, the further I got into my career, the more feedback I took and, and the more that I understood, you know, what my responsibilities truly were as a trainer, especially working in the gen pop realm, you know, I didn't work with a ton of, you know, uh, high level collegiate athletes or professional athletes. I had a few, but 99% of my business was just New Yorkers, just everyday people, right? And they were all busy. They yeah. were all highly distracted. And it was my job to provide a service that they enjoyed and looked forward to coming to or, or else they weren't going to, right? Because we know that the number one factor of any training program is adherence. And getting people to show up is literally not GI Joe style half the battle, but it's like 95% of the battle. From there, it's just like the programming is usually pretty arbitrary for what they want to do. It doesn't have to be highly specific because most of them don't have a lot of specificity-based goals. A lot of it is just, hey, let's come in three times a week. Let's get moving. We've got a few patterns that we need to work on. We've got some qualities that we need to train from a cardiovascular and strength perspective. And as long as I fill those buckets, I don't really care that much about what the application looks like. Like, we want to do a squat. I've got 15 different variations that we can try. Which one do you like the best? Right. Which one do you the best within, right? It doesn't have to be a barbell back squat. It doesn't have to be 
a searcher squad or whatever. It can be something that you enjoy doing because if you enjoy doing it, I know you will do it with better intention. Mm. And that certainly matters as well, right? So just being more flexible in the application while not losing my actual training principles probably would have actually helped me a lot uh, when it came to dealing with quote unquote problem clients, you yeah. know, in the past, because looking back and, and being realistic about it, they might not have been that big of a problem. Mm. It might, it might've mm. probably fallen on my shoulders instead. Yeah. It takes a, I mean, coming from you, it takes a lot of reflection to, to kind of come to that conclusion, but to the point of, of stubborn people, it's kind of a good segue into the next topic a little bit on the funnier side, but there was a, a small Instagram war about the trap bar uh, a few months back that, that you guys were a big part of, which I honestly never saw you guys engaging in or, or wanting to, like, I never saw you two as the guys who would start a, a fitness fight on, maybe not a fight, but a fitness confrontation on Instagram, defending your position so strongly. And I love that it happened, though, because I think that kind of closed-mindedness, you know, we're not going to say go into it too much, but that kind of closed-mindedness in the fitness industry uh, or, or the lack of adaptability, I think, can set a lot of people backwards. So how is it that, how often do you feel the need, and I, I think both of you guys do a great job of it in your posts, not being too passive-aggressive about it, but how often do you feel the need to address misinformation or maybe just there being too much information especially in the age of social media with, with fitness uh, on your guys' social media or in newsletters or, or however you guys go about it? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's always about context. I think you, you can't look at training interventions or drills or equipment as, as this arbitrary right or wrong uh, you know, context. Everything's going to be appropriate to task and goal, right? Like, even when talking about whether or not something's functional, right? Like, you can't define it functional without understanding what outcome you're trying to achieve, right? So if, if we're talking about a certain piece of equipment versus another one, and one of them allows for a better line of pull, better loading, and what would probably be a, a quote-unquote less risky position for most people, like, I'm going to pick that. Right, and if somebody tells me that that's not correct, I'm gonna say, you know, according to who and for what, right? Because the fact that you're following these, you know, rules doesn't mean that I have to. When I look at things being incorrect, I see that more as a mitch, a mismatch with application, not ever the intervention in a vacuum. Like I think most things are probably okay for somebody, but not for everybody. It's kind of like the George Box, like all models are wrong, you know, perspective where you know, they're useful, but they're all wrong because once we apply a person and environment to it, you can't be contextually appropriate for everybody, mm. right? So you have to be open-minded when it comes to that. So for me, it's like, I'm never going to get super upset with somebody or, or, you know, start a war with them or whatever, unless they're being completely arbitrary or like completely absolutist in their approach and they're attacking me personally, which is what actually ended up happening. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was like actually attacking Matt and I on another post. So we made a super funny functional video about it and, you know, kind of went from that there. One of the things that I see that happens a lot with this binary thought process is it makes for a really good soundbite or snippet or caption on Instagram. It's shareworthy, it's clickworthy, it's able to get people to, to view their stuff more. And because of that, that also gets viewed as that person's entire viewpoint and methodology around something. Right, where like 
a lot of the stuff that we when we talk about, like if we make like a pretty absolutist post, whenever people respond in comments and like, well, what do you think about this scenario? It's like, yeah, you're probably right. That works too. And they're like, hold on a second, what? It's like, well, yeah, the context of that thing that you just said is different than the person who we were referring to in this, or is different than me. So that also works. And the problem is that it depends answer is not a really sexy one to sell to get more people into what it is that you're doing. So with social media, it's one of those things where you unfortunately have to be, you have to come across as a little bit more binary to get people to engage with you because all engagement is gonna be good, right? If you get somebody who's negatively commenting on something and you can refute their points and you can talk about it in a certain way, you can drive up your engagement, get more likes, get more clicks, get more, get more shares and saves because you've now brought up pretty good points defending your argument, right? Whereas, or like changing your argument and changing the person's mind on the context of whatever it is that you're looking for. So I think that's one of the things that gets lost is that social media is not a true reflection of who that person actually is. It's a snapshot of that particular moment in time. So like, for example, if I'm talking about like respiration or like sternal mechanics in a bench press, it's respected to me that particular position and that moment in time. Yeah. I like it. Actually, I love it actually because it the it's almost like a reverse psychology trolling approach to those people who come to your guys' page only seeking negative comments and confrontation and just telling them, well, you could be right, you know, and then they have no response because there are those people who exist on social media who just live to dispute other points and, and find arguments. So it's, it's almost like a way of negating all that completely. And at the same time, yeah, providing context for every single scenario and realizing that, yeah, this stuff doesn't exist one in one spectrum and there's there's multiple uh meanings behind all of it wow that was great last thing i kind of want to dive into before we kind of wrap this thing up i've been thinking about this a lot because i went to costa rica in january and i know that ben house operates used to operate down out of there and hosted like a huge lifting summit my question for you guys and you guys can both have your own answers to this would you guys ever see yourself, if and when the situation with COVID dies down and the scenario becomes right, see yourself hosting some sort of lifting summit that's education-based, that's that's meathead mashing weights-based, and where everybody can kind of congregate together in person and do some sort of mentorship that way? Yeah, I mean, I, like I've been down to bids four times, you know, over over two years span, so I. I... I presented at one of the seminars and then I attended three more and, and one of them was really just us lifting and going to the beach. Like there wasn't really any education involved. It was just fun. Yeah. That environment's amazing. Right. And one of his big, uh, missions with that project, right. Was to remove people from their environments because our environment affects who we are right. like more so than anything else. Right. So getting people out of, their typical environment into a new one to kind of expose them to not only a new stimulus, but new people, right. And, and kind of a new context. And it's a really powerful thing, right. You know, you, you go down there for 10 days and by like day four, uh, especially coming from like a city like New York, you never want to go back. Like right. you just, you feel like you live there. Like you're so, so much just less stressed. Like, you know, things that you're not even necessarily aware of You're sleeping better. Like everything's just, better uh just from a a physiological and psychological standpoint 
and you start really realizing, you know, what like human optimization might actually be and how your environment kind of probably limits your ability to do that in a lot of cases. You know, so I think if we're ever, you know, we, we come out of COVID, you know, eventually we're able to kind of see each other in person inside of six feet. Uh, I, I think it would be, you know, super fun to do something of that nature um, and, and get people all in one space for, you know, uh, you know, three or five days and talk about education and, and lift weights. Because the other side of that is, you know, humans form bonds and relationships under stress, right? And if you read like Sebastian Junker, uh, you know, in Tribes, if you read uh, uh, The Body Keeps the Score and some like more trauma-based books, like people form the closest and the strongest bonds with one another under times of immense stress. And that can be either distress or eustress, right? So if we're talking about like a training environment or an athletic environment, and I know, Fran, you can you can definitely understand this being a collegiate athlete. Like you, you go through every day in like high stress environments with your teammates. Like you go through practices where you throw up. You go through games that are under immense levels of stress. And you get to know those people really, really well. You have each other's backs. You have a bond that you don't have with maybe other friends. And when you start looking like a training environment, that might be the closest thing that we have to that post like athletics, right? You see this with like people in the military all the time. And I definitely don't want to make that comparison, but when you train with somebody, when you work really hard with somebody, you share something with them and understand them at a different level. Yep. Like we go down there and we run mass, right? Which is the worst training program ever. Oh, man. And we'd run it in the rainforest in an open air gym where the air is literally as thick as a swimming pool. Like you can't breathe. Right. You're sweating through all your clothes. You're throwing weights around on a timer. And people are just literally dying and throwing up over walls. <laughs> but you love it at yeah. the same time. Yeah. Right. And it, and it really brings people together and it's really fun to see, you know, so I do think that those experiences are, are useful and they're just a really cool opportunity environment that I would recommend to anybody if they get a chance. Yeah. Like, like we said, you know, it, it all depends on how we kind of emerge from this thing. And obviously it's got to be cost effective for you guys too. So I thought I would kind of throw you a little curveball question just to see if that was in the future, because if there is, you better put me on the wait list. But guys, uh, I really appreciate you guys hopping on. I'm going to close out on this note. Where can everybody who's listening find you guys and what can they expect from this upcoming mentorship? Now it's July 1st, but by the time this podcast is released in the next couple of weeks, I should say, uh, you guys will be already underway. So what can you say about what's going to be going on for you guys coming up and where can we find you? Yeah, I mean, uh, all our stuff's on the website. So that's just www.compoundperformance.com. And then probably the best way to actually reach us and be able to communicate with us is over Instagram. Um, I'm not on Facebook at all, but I, I'm on Instagram, and that's just compoundperformance underscore. Uh, DM me, whatever, and, and I'll, I'll answer your questions until I won't, right, like we talked about. Right. Uh, you know, as far as the group mentorship, that's something that um, – we're super excited about. We've spent a lot of time. We've, you know, we've been doing this for a year now. So this is our fifth quarter and we've gotten a ton of feedback from the people that have been in it. You know, the things they enjoyed and the things they wish that we talked more about. And we're just adding those things in, you know, so it's going to be super robust. There's probably a good, you know, 50% more total content in the actual program, as opposed to what was in the program based on what we've added. 
And um, on top of that, you know, Matt's also building out this like this super document as a material that trainers can use, you know, moving forward working with their own clients too. Nice. Yes, I mean that's one of the things that we're we're most excited about is if, when people ask what's different about this round of the group mentorship, the answer is pretty much everything. Like we've moved content around, we've reorganized the flow, we've combined some weeks where we had minimal stuff to actually or minimal content to actually talk about. We've totally revamped the uh, the case study to make it a live document that's going to be basically just a running resource for the entirety of the mentorship. Uh, we've added a ton of content about stuff that people are looking for. Like we're getting much more in-depth into biomechanics, exercise selection, energy system development, training prep, programming splits. Like We're getting a lot more in-depth into a lot of this stuff. So I think that's, that's probably one of the things that we're most excited about uh, just because we're putting together some really new stuff that we've never done, that we haven't done before, and that it's based off of all the feedback that we've received. And with the feedback that we get from people, we can make it like so much better than anything else out there because it's going to be guided by the people who are also in it. Um, yeah, I just ran a lot for a long time without saying where to find me. If you guys want to find me on Instagram, my name is at Matt Dobby. Um, I will also respond to your DMs if you DM me, but I have a one response limit before I send you a calendar link. Got it. Some flexibility from both of the coaches at Compound Performance. Guys, thank you so much for hopping on. Uh, This has been the second episode of the Potentiation Podcast. You can find us here on iTunes. And you can find these guys at compoundperformance.com or at their social media handles if you're interested, coaches and trainers, in becoming a better trainer and building your business model right now. Guys, thank you so much. That wraps it up. Thank you, Frank. Later, man.